You've just entered the Disaster Tough podcast, the place for emergency managers, first responders, and humanitarians who want to get the job done. Stories, lessons, and tips are provided by field experts. I'm your host, John Scardina, owner of Doberman Emergency Management and former federal emergency response official who's responded to some of the most extreme disasters. Disaster Tough is our mantra. It combines experience, training, and analytics in order to be successful at any stage within the disaster life cycle. It means being a professional in emergency and disaster services. Doberman Emergency Management lives by this. If your organization needs to fill a gap, please contact us. We can help. Contact info is in the show notes. We also support other products and organizations that will increase your ability. For example, if you fight wildfires, hurricanes, a pandemic, any disaster in the field, at a hospital or command center, listen up. You're missing out if you do not use L3 Harris for your radio comms. They are secure, portable, mobile, and scalable, which is great news for us in the field. A truly disaster-tough radio system. Check out the XL family of radios by clicking on the show notes or simply go to L3Harris.com. When you think of situational awareness, you need to think of Futurity IT. They are disaster tough because they saw a gap and figured out how to close it by creating the Orion and Athena applications. Situational awareness is all about speed, coordination, and accuracy of information. Futurity IT's Orion app collects and provides preliminary damage assessments and integrates all incident action plan documents with WebEOC. The Athena app allows for planning, contact tracing, and customizable group coordination in every single phase of the disaster lifecycle. The best part? Futurity IT made both applications extremely intuitive. It's so easy to use. Click on the show notes today to schedule a free demo. Welcome back to the show, everybody. It's your host, John Scardina. I'm so excited for this week's episode. We're going to be talking to my good friend, Caitlin Von Stein. She is awesome. She has so much field experience. In fact, I met her several years ago uh, in, in, in a couple different deployments, actually. And so I've been able to, to leverage her experience. She's an analyst at FEMA. She's one of those people that... Uh, funny story before we have her introduced on here. Every time I met people, people from headquarters, like, oh no, like another headquarters person came out here and uh, here we go. But when she got, when she landed in the field, man, she was just like an all-star. And so like she has done so well in her, her field to make sure that she's able to provide like the best intelligence possible for those in the field as well as at the headquarters. So it's a, it's a real pleasure to have her on the show. Caitlin, welcome to the show. Thank you. Wow, that might be the best introduction I think I've ever received. <laughs> no, I really appreciate it and I'm definitely excited to be here. This is the first time I've ever done anything like this. So it's great to sort of spread the word on emergency management and give my input and my experiences. And um, so just the opportunity is great. So thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's you, you say that it might be the best introduction, but people say a lot of good things about you behind your back. You're one of those people that's like, <laughs> oh, Caitlin's there, like you know, everything's gonna work out. And so I was actually <laughs> trying to, th I was trying to think, was it Oroville Dam or was it the Southern California wildfires that we met? Uh, was... we brief. I did not deploy to the dam. Okay, um, so is the wildfires. So Wherever in the response center, but definitely at the wildfires. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
So big yeah, shout we out were, to we were great buds. We went hiking and everything. Yeah. <laughs> we lived the dream. Yeah. <laughs> our bonding time. Oh my gosh. Hey, you gotta bond with the people you work with, right? So <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> that's funny. We had a several people there. I think uh Kyle Gagne was was with us on that hike too. Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, mm-hmm. He needs to come on the show sometime. Um, for those who don't know who he is, he was the Situational Awareness Unit Leader on uh, the IMAT West, and then he took over my job when I left. So he now does GIS, which is pretty cool. But um, all right, so if it was wildfires, then you were part of that original team that helped me test out the drone for FEMA. Yeah, so. um, I got a bit after you had sort of started on that project, but that was a project. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't, and you were working with all kinds of people just to get those things up in the air. Um, so that was quite a feat on your part just to make that process work at all. Yeah, it's all about that coordination piece. But like, honestly, even so, I was acted, I acted as pilot in command for those who don't know. So I went out there with actually Kyle. And uh, we flew out there for um, for a few days, but the only way like an emergency manager emergency manager can be really effective is is that coordination piece. And so, of course, we had like the FAA and Air Ops involved. But when I would send data back, I would send it back to you, Caitlin, right, and mm-hmm. uh, Frank Changa and Stephanie. Yeah. Oh, what was her name? Oh, uh, I'm not so bad. Yeah, so Frank, terrible with me. Um... Well, you guys were like yeah, kind of the dream team back there, right? I mean, so what was it yeah, like? So I sent you this raw data, and then what would you do? What would you focus on? So I, if I remember right, we took a lot of the background data from those photos, and we were able to pinpoint where they were happening um, or where they were taken to, I think, understand different risk assessments in that area. Of, here's the photos we took. Here's where they're happening, and here's different assessments we need to make based on that. Um, so just being able to integrate it with GIS and doing those risk assessments, especially when after wildfires, the second it rains, then you get mudslides. Um, so you really have to make sure where, where those people are being displaced is still somewhere safe. Um, because once those mudslides hit, then you're in a whole, whole new disaster. Yeah, different um, ball game for sure. If I remember right, that was a lot of what we helped with. Yeah, so there was there was like multiple uh, facets of that mission. So I think that's what you were focusing on. And then I had other people like doing the the count of the damage assessments. Um, there mm-hmm. was a lot of lessons learned from that. But uh, I gotta give you. I, I actually thanked Brock Long on here a couple weeks ago because because of him I was able to get the drone, and then because of you and Stephanie, that's so bad, uh, and Frank, and this uh, and Kyle even. Um, you fast forward from 2017 to 2021, and now it's a SOP, it's standard operating procedure for FEMA to to coordinate with Silver Air Patrol and Air Ops to get those same kind of drones up in the air to get uh, damage assessment collections and start to understanding the, like, the long-term impacts of that disaster. So big shout out mm-hmm. to you for, uh, for helping out there. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, with GIS, there's so many ways that we can kind of... Um, take what everybody else has. There's so many places that GIS can step in and be of assistance. And so that was just, you were just one person on that disaster that, um, and one project we were helping on. Um, so that, that was what makes 
why it was so great to work with GIF on that disaster because there were just so many avenues that we were taking with it. Um, Absolutely. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So it's fun to think about that. Um, So let's back up then a little bit because uh, you were deployed from headquarters, right? And then you, you showed why you're part of the dream team, right? Um, to be able to do those analytics together, but um, really, let's let's talk about how you're able to get into those situations because you know, out of the you know hundreds of GIS people, there's only four or five people working on this project, and mm-hmm. as you noted, that was just one of several projects you've worked on, and so let's talk about like the first the importance of analytics and why do you think analytics is so critical for emergency management, and then we can kind of get into like how you're able to get into those situations. Yeah, I mean, definitely, this is probably a similar answer to what you see a lot, but I mean, analytics can drive so many decisions and decision making and being able to provide raw data on here's why we need to make certain decisions and take certain actions. Um, And that we're not just, I think that's sort of the old emergency management way of, well, it probably should be like this. And we probably (laughs) should be doing this. And so it's a quite hard numbers of like, no, here's the data. We don't want to be doing this anymore. Um, We should be this way or that way. Um, I think brings light to a lot of problems that we might've thought were being solved and aren't as much. Um, So, I mean, I think that's a huge part of analytics is just being able to provide information and provide data that people didn't previously had and were just sort of going off their gut instincts of things. Um, So that's what I like to see. I'm very much sort of that raw data person. I don't, I don't do very well with creative writing and things like that. I'm very much on numbers here. Here's what it is and here's what it isn't. Um, so I, I think that's where I like to come into play. Um, yeah. And I, I think just getting into that, I, I think I've been one one place that I do I think take a little bit more risks is in my job and I do you know when opportunities come forward I maybe it's because I don't like to say no at all in life but I just I don't like to say no like mm-hmm. if it's an opportunity even when I'm uncertain about it or not sure if I'm gonna like it just saying yes to it you know I didn't I didn't know that going to California for 90 days to work on a wildfire would be a great experience or not. I didn't know what that was going to come of that, but it was offered to me and I most certainly not going to say no to that. Um, and that, I think that was just one, one area that I did analytics in, but I mean, even getting any job um, where I've been able to just sort of step in and be like, yeah, I'll do that. I'll take that. Um, really gets you steps ahead to where you do want to be, even if what you're deciding on at that moment isn't exactly what you want. It gives you the stepping stones to sort of move to where you do want to go. And that disaster was absolutely a stepping stone for me, right? When I got back from that disaster, I took a job in a different um, different area. Just because of what I learned and I had gained from that, um, I knew I wanted to do something a little bit different. Um, and so, yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that's, I mean, my own personal take um, on it of how to get into it and sort of your foot in the door is, I mean, just taking the opportunities to do it. Um, and I guess not really not being afraid of it. Uh, That's huge. I, living in Sacramento, 
for 90 days would be exactly what I wanted. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, first of all, I'm glad you said yes. I'm glad you're on our team. (laughs) And uh, you're welcome because basically I changed your entire career. So you're welcome. I'd say so. (laughs) Drones and all. Yes. That's hilarious. So, uh, yeah, that happened. We talked about that a little bit last week, too, actually, with um, Dr. Earl Stoddard from Montgomery County, Maryland. Mm-hmm. And um, he's just talking about being a team player and how to coordinate and, and how to propel yourself in your career. And it actually came back to uh, I was I was actually thinking about this. Um, I had a professor in my master's program at Georgetown who was like, if for the first 10 years of your career, you should go up or out every two years and mm-hmm. never say no. And so I was at Georgetown. Uh, I had a great job in D.C. I was happy with my job in D.C., and uh, Rodney Melsick from the national team, FEMA, you know, I never thought I'd be working for FEMA. I, I kind of worked on the, some of the other um, man-made stuff, but, you know, tapped me on my shoulder and says, I, I want to hire you to do GIS here. And actually, I did say no. And then he said no to your no. And um, it was like the best, the best thing that ever happened to me because he said no to your no. I talked to a professor at Georgetown and said, just say yes. Always say yes to a, a career opportunity because you're going to gain more in your resume. You're going to look mm-hmm. you're going to look and be more complete as an emergency manager. And so I went with it. And I'm like so glad I did that. So that's excellent advice, especially for those emergency managers who are out there right now and like thinking what do I want to do? If an opportunity presents itself, go for it. Right? That's the advice. Yeah. Yeah, and I even I mean my first real experience with taking a volunteer opportunity because I didn't know what I was doing or what I wanted to do with emergency management. And I was living in Colorado and the Colorado floods happened and they needed volunteers. And so um, I just took a volunteer position and uh, ended up being a disaster case manager for nine months with them. And that real true experience getting that and working with the survivors every single day, working in their homes, working with the contractors, the full circle. Um, and I would have never done that just taking a volunteer position. Um, of course, it's always important to eventually get paid, but doing that in the meantime was the best thing I could have ever done. And just taking that breath of let's figure out what I want to do so that I can move forward. Um, and that it worked great. Um, and so whatever opportunities you can find, even if they're minor, uh, that was definitely the, one of the best ones that's really gotten me further in emergency management and having that sort of experience. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. There's no yeah. such thing as a minor opportunity. It is or it isn't, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, yeah. um, you know, there's, there's always outside factors. There's always reasons to say no family, friends, uh, you know, you like your lifestyle. It sounds like a lot of work. It's going to push you. And, um, you know, you do have to weigh that a little bit, obviously. But as long as it's ethical, moral, and, you know, it's going to help you out in your career, you should just do it, right? Like, always yeah. go for it. So, um, yeah. Yeah, and I think, it's, I think it's funny in emergency management. I don't think... I, I don't know that you find that, like, complacency as much because emergency managers are just kind of built to sort of seek out where the problems are and where the help can be done. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a little bit different than other other careers where you do you feel a little more settled and you're like, okay, I'm okay with this. 
in emergency management, there's, there's a reason you're an emergency manager. You want, um, you want that, uh, I don't want to say excitement, disaster shouldn't be exciting, um, but sort of that drive and that motivation yeah. to do more, to be challenged and to help and to serve. And um, it's a little bit different in the emergency management world, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it's kind of a funny way to put it. Like, it is fun and it is a thrill. Basically, I like to be able to look at complex problems. It's like I'm like an optimistic, negative realist. Uh, like, so, <laughs> like, problems are going to happen, but I, I had this like weird confidence that like I can figure out, figure it out, figure it out. And, um, like, okay, like, Give me a mountain. Give me a mountain to climb, and I'm going to figure out how. And um, I think that's kind of what drives this industry. There's probably a lot of people listening to you right now um, and saying, like, okay, like, I totally agree with that. Like, I'm, I'm wired that way. If you're wired in a way where you're, you're able to look at a problem and say, I think I can help plug a gap. I think I can, I can figure something out. And as an emergency manager, for example, you're, you're perfect for this. Like, you can do analytics or you can do operations. You can do technical writing. Like there's so many different areas in that. You don't have to do all of them. I can do all of them. But uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, but like, you, I'm not you disagreeing. Can... Good. That's good. Uh, my clients agree with me too. Dorman Emergency Management, hire us. Uh, so, like, just finding, finding an area where you can say, I can be effective here. I'm going to get the training, I'm going to get the experience, and I can be effective here. Um, so yeah, absolutely. So many arenas and also so many levels. I mean, you can work at the local level, you can work at the state level, you can work at the regional level, you can work at the federal level. So many areas where you can really find your niche in and like what you excel at and what works best for you um, in management or serving or working with the community. Um, there's so many avenues in emergency management. It's kind of like saying business, right? Like when you say, like to people in our field, like, well, what in business do you work on? So let's, let's talk about your niche then, because holy cow, you've worked on some really cool projects. And like, you know, over like the, what, the, the five years that I've known you at least. Um, and I didn't even know about the flooding in uh, Colorado, that experience. So that's really cool mm -hmm. that you did that. And I know you did AmeriCorps and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so, like, what are your top projects that you focused on? Oh, top projects. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You've worked on so many. So you're like, right. I have done a lot of different ones. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, I, I came from a very sciencey disaster background. My bachelor's degree is in geology. Um, and then I ended up living in New Zealand for a while studying volcanoes. Um, and so I did a very like science. That's what I thought I was going to do was the science side of disasters. Um, I think that's a little bit still where my heart is. I mean, I love working with the communities. I love being at a higher level and having oversight on so many disasters across the nation that I haven't, haven't found a pool to leave that yet, but looking back on my start and where I was in the beginning. Um, I definitely love the science side of things. Um, and working with, when I was in New Zealand, we did um, different soil samples 
uh, to see where, how far out volcanic ash would spread or the, um, how, yeah, basically how far out the ash would fall to help communicate to people you're in an area that you're going to get a lot of, you're going to get this many inches if this large of an explosion happens, eruption. Um, and so doing this science part of it and then being able to relay that to the community, I think is a really cool thing. And that was, um, probably, I think when I, when I look back at all of the disaster things I've done, um, really getting down to the actual disaster, um, I think is a really cool thing. Um, and just supposed to show a whole nother arena that you can get into in emergency management. You know, you don't necessarily have to be the best people person and you don't necessarily have to be a great manager. You can do these sort of sciencey, unique things that also help um, inform the community on what's about to happen for them. Um, yeah. So I'd say that's probably one of my top ones, even though that feels like so long ago now. Um, and But otherwise, I mean, GIS, which is also can be considered kind of science and analytics and not um, not so much community and person-based, um, but just the projects I've done on the disasters with the wildfires, you know, doing flood assessments. And then also being part of the response center and getting to see um, so many needs for so many different disasters. You know, you have an earthquake and so then you need to see, well, where are all the aftershocks happening and how do we need to relay that to people? Or you have floods. Well, how far out does the flood extend and where can we put shelters? Um, and so, again, just taking the, the pieces that you do have and the information that you do have and being able to relay that. I think are the best projects that I've done and like truly knowing that you are making a difference because you see it um, you see that information getting provided and you see people reacting to it and preparing for it. Um, that's a pretty cool thing. So hilariously that you say that it doesn't require that those people skills, but every project you just <laughs> mentioned was talking about reaching out to people and helping people. Um, I mean, <laughs> yeah, no, I guess it, you're right. I guess I just, I think my, my comfortableness is much more behind the computer and with an Excel spreadsheet. And as much as I love to see what's happening in the community, um, I think I just know where my strong suit is a little gotcha. bit more. Yeah. Ask that information to someone that can best relay it to people. Um, Cause you put me in front of an audience of people and I, I don't know if I'm the best person to relay that information, but to see how the information that I do gather gets put out to people, um, even if I'm not the one relaying it, I, is a great thing for me. Emergency management is 100% improved through data analytics and you know the sciences. Mm -hmm. If you have a weather event and there's no science behind that, uh, you, know, you, you fail, yeah. right? So... Uh, I mean, what you're talking about is um, something that's really passionate that I'm passionate about. You know, obviously, I like talking to people. I like getting in front of people, but mm -hmm. I, I'm kind of the same way. Like, um, if I can get in front of a computer and say, like, okay, like this is what's actually happening, not what I think is happening. What's what I hear about mm -hmm. on the news? What's somebody else's opinion? But it, it comes down to like a constant struggle, and you kind of mentioned this a little bit, like. You have operations and even planning, but mostly operations who just like want to go. 
right? Go, go, go. And you have people in data who are just like, wait, 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 let me figure this out. And there has to be some kind of balance. And so with so much experience in emergency management where it is conflicting, right? What would be your advice to those who have a traditional operations background who don't understand the weight and how, what advice would you give to on the other side to those data scientists who uh, don't understand maybe necessarily like the, the speed of which they need to be moving at for operations? How do you, how do you, what, what advice would you give to both, both parties there? Yeah, you know, I think you, I mean, definitely see that a lot in response. Um, and there's just, there's a lot of pressure that comes down, which is totally understandable. Um, I think, I mean, I can only speak as much from the GIS perspective of analytics, um, but sort of having that understanding of it, it does take time for the information to come in um, is important that we, we can't have all the answers in five minutes. It doesn't always work like that. But, you know, I have been on the side that I have worked with people that genuinely do take too long and that, you know, it's okay not to have all 10 answers. Provide the seven that you can for now and um, with the data that you have and we can move forward as we need to and revise it. But, um, you know, I think just working with what you have at the time and making sure you're emphasizing where the gaps are so it's not miscommunicated or misconstrued is really important. Um, but I know there's always sort of nuances that we try to convey and communicate to make sure that here's the data that we have and that we can provide right now to sort of give some direction, even if we don't have the answer right now. Um, and so I think on the other side, being able to at least be okay with a direction forward, um, even if we don't have the solution just yet, uh, helps us on our end with the analytics and sort of buys us a little bit more time of, okay, if you want the answer, give us a moment to make sure it's right first. Um, so that's tough though. You're right that it's extremely challenging to balance both those sides. I'm I'm applauding you right now because uh, yes, that's that's the audience applauding too. That's my answer. You you just said my answer, Um, especially when you're you know there's that old phrase of like eighty percent solution is enough. Both parties Mm -hmm. need to understand that something has to be done, and if you want to do it right or you want to do it quick, that sometimes that's conflicting. And um, that doesn't mean that either party has to wait. While they're operating, they might get ahead of GIS. And GIS you know, and analytics might be like, whoa, that, that was the wrong action. And they might get held up by that. But these guys have to act. They have to save lives. They have to do something. And mm-hmm. the other side of it is, okay, we're going to move as fast as we can so that future actions are taken by them as they're acting. And so it's never a one or the other. It's both moving forward and trying to add that situational awareness um, component to to that so that they're able to make the best answer in the time frame that they have. Yeah. Great answer. And yeah, and moving in sync forward too. I mean, you have one moving forward too quickly. The other one doesn't know what they're supposed to be doing anymore. Um, 
we're going in. So if you can move forward together and say, here's where we want to go next with this, then it's like, okay, let me see what I can do for you. Um, But if you don't have any of that coordination, I mean, you've mentioned that already and it gets brought up anytime you talk about emergency management, but without it, you, you really aren't making much progress. I, I call myself an emergency manager. My company is called Doberman Emergency Management. But hilariously, like, as more I've talked to people, like people like you, experts in the field, the more I've thought, okay, we really should be calling ourselves emergency coordinators. Mm. You know, the, the best emergency manager is terrible if they're not able to relay information, whether it's through sharing data or through getting up on a stand or... You know, just just be able to work with different parties. There's so many different stakeholders, and um, you know, it goes back to that original thought. Those like data and science improves emergency manager emergency management. You need it because that'll make you a better emergency coordinator, right? If you're putting up <laughs> shelters in a flood zone, and you know, like that's a, that's a problem. So yeah, great call out, great call out. Seriously. Um, <laughs> Man, that just that makes me think about so much. But you're talking about some people moving too slow. I definitely felt that. Um, my one advice, if we're talking to GISers right now, my one advice is stop trying to make the map look pretty. Yeah. Everyone with enough time can change the shades and how thick yeah. the lines are, and you know, like just if it's legible. Somebody in ops is going to be looking at it for 10 seconds and a really That's good map. That's part of why I'm in GIS, though, because <laughs> I'm so meticulous about yeah. those things. But yeah. no, you absolutely are right. And I mean, sometimes we have to get caught up in the red tape of it has to say this and it has to have that. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you're right. If they can make a decision with the line black instead of blue, then by all means, just get it to where it needs to go. I, I was watching CNN, or no, I was not watching CNN. Uh, I got a text saying, "I watch CNN," and I turned on, um, uh, turned on the TV, and the President of the United States was holding my map, my super crappy map that I made. And so, like, there was, there was like part of a fear there, like, "Oh, that's super ugly." But at the same time, he was happy. And yeah. um, you know the FEMA, you know, uh, you know the FEMA administrator at the time was was talking about what they were showing on the map, and so like I was getting all these texts like, "Hey, that's your map, that's awesome." I was like, <laughs> but at the same time, like that's that's it. Like they got the information that they needed. We can go mm-hmm. back in later, and we can make it you know five hundred eight compliant. We can make it. We can do all that stuff for other people, and we should. But uh, you know. Again, those those conflicting thought processes. I got in a lot of trouble with GIS at FEMA because I came from operations first. And when I made this comment at a conference, oh my gosh, I wish I could take it back now. Do you know what I'm talking I about? Do you know what I'm talking about? I made a I made a, a comment at a conference saying, you know, GISers don't really speak the the language of emergency management. And all these people in GIS are like, How dare you? You know, GISers have you ever seen the show IT crowd? No, I haven't. Oh my gosh, hilarious show! <laughs> I like IT people. They get super offended by like you know how dare you address. But like, <laughs> I I still felt like that was true. I feel like it's true today. I think we could do a lot better of understanding like the language, what what, what they mean when they say now. 
And mm-hmm. um, I, I think vice versa too. I think there needs to be a lot of training on the operations side, the incident, incident commander side of like, when you ask for a change, what you think is one change is 40 different changes. You know, I have to change mm-hmm. my SQL query, whatever. So yeah, um, I think yeah, that's a good call out too for this episode. We're talking about analytics of like that cross training that needs to happen uh, when you're not in a disaster so that there's clear expectations from both parties so that you can work together to help people out. Yeah. Yeah. And just a little more, I mean, we're working in such a fast paced environment, but taking a second to be like, okay, what is it that I really need? Um, Because I think we, from the response GIS side, um, I think it gets difficult of like, really, you really want this? What is this really showing? (laughs) Yeah. And then of course they come back and they're like, oh yeah, I don't need this. I meant for it to be like this. It's like, okay, if you had told me that, I like, I know. Oh, that was so much easier. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, just taking a second of like, okay, this is going to take some time to make, what do I really need? What do I really want? What's really going to be helpful? And that definitely helps us on our end of like, okay, that makes a lot of sense. I can put all that together and it can be useful for you. That's the quote. Um, That's the quote of the show that I'm going to take right there. (laughs) That's awesome. Um, I mean, it's, it's just about, yeah, but it's what you said, knowing like just knowing what you're going to need. And so, yeah, uh, man, I was like kind of rolling my eyes here for a second. Cause I was remembering some of these experiences, um, um, to defend GIS. Cause I kind of battered GIS first. So I'll back up GIS. <laughs> so they don't, don't everybody. In GIS it. hates me. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's hilarious. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I was in a tornado recovery it was not response. And I had somebody mm-hmm. come up to me and said, hey, can you put on my hotel on the map to see how close it was to the tornado track? <laughs> and I was like, dude, we are 200 miles away from the tornado. <laughs> like, why am I putting your Marriott on, on the map? Marriott, you can sponsor our show after this because you're awesome. But uh, yeah, so like, like, why? He's like, oh, I just I thought it'd be interesting to send back to my family. I'm like, again, you're, in, you're towns away, amigo. Like, I'm not... I'm not doing this map for you. And so I think I think we should like understanding those clear expectations, the more GIS people coordinate and collaborate with ops, ops stop asking for stupid requests. I cannot mm-hmm. oh my gosh, going on I'm not I'm like airing out all my my frustrations here. Operations people asking for like thinking GIS is the 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 print shop drives me nuts. I'm not your mm-hmm. printer. I'm not a print expert. I don't care how big or small the printer is. Give that to logistics <laughs> or somebody. Like I, I want to spend my time figuring out what the problems are, not like, oh, let me just like print off your, you know, e size map yeah. for you. Yeah, like, uh, and you see that much more on disasters. Yeah, um, yeah. But I also think for operations to recognize the capabilities of analytics, you know, so often they're like, Oh, I need this on the map. And I'm like, you realize you can Google map that, oh, right? Don't. Like, yes. Set up yourself. Like <laughs> all, all I'm going to do is screenshot Google and send it back. To I've you. done that like, so many times. It's hilarious. Yeah. And so being able to like enable people of here's what you can do and here's what you can use me for. So we're both getting what we need and we're both doing it in an efficient way. Um, Cause you don't need me. You're wasting time coming to my desk and asking me to do it when you don't realize that you have the tools 
to do it yourself. And But you also don't realize the tools I have to help you do even more advanced things than what you realize you can do. Hey, um, hey, we're at the JFO. We're at the JFO. Can you uh, give me a map to, to tell me how to get to the EOC, the state EOC? <laughs> do you know the address of the state EOC? Yeah. Don't you have an iPhone, man? Yeah, I use it all the time for like maps and stuff, but we're in a disaster. So I'm like, dude, you are not in a disaster. Like the survivor's in a disaster. You have connectivity. You're in the same freaking city. No, I'm not. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Aaron, or oh my the, request, the request to um, like plot shelters. And it's like, okay, well, do you have the latitude, longitude, or addresses? Well, no, can't you just Google those? Okay, yeah, I'll Google all 181 of them for you. <laughs> No worries. I got it. <laughs> no big deal. Yeah, I'll just no. spend, my, spend my time doing that. Yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah, but just, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> just recognizing what, what we're capable of as analysts and what we can and can't do because there are some things that are beyond us that we just, we don't have the information for and we would need you to give it to us for us to do anything with it. So Speak for yourself. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, At least no. you look at all 181 shelters yeah, next time. <laughs> that's why. That's why we get FEMA Core. That's why we have FEMA Core. Oh my! Oh, all, don't bash FEMA Core. Oh, I love FEMA Core. They're the greatest interns ever. We're not interns. You're totally interns. Okay. Talk about asking for prints all the time. <laughs> uh, okay, that's that's an acceptable group to ask for prints for. I came back to a disaster. <laughs> You know, I was I was a younger guy, and like so, people didn't really know who I was, and that's fine. Um, but I got back to this disaster, and we get local hires. People, you know, I'm, nothing against age, anything. But this guy walked up to me, and he handed me a piece of paper, and he said, "Like, hey, I need you to make this map." And I was like, "I'm sorry, who are you?" And uh, yeah. you know, I I had just come back from a rotation, and he goes, "Oh, I'm I'm a GIS specialist." I'm like, "I'm your boss's boss, dude. Like, you make the map." <laughs> Like, who are you? And then I just gave it to a yeah. female card. Just look, Especially if he's the specialist, he's supposed to be the one. <laughs> whatever. Yeah, it's it's just kind of funny. Um, yeah. No, absolutely. You do see that on disasters when you're when it's all but, um, new disasters. Not even if you're new people, but uh, you don't know who everybody is, and it does take a little bit to sort of understand the ranking system. Yeah, so. that's a good point. How do you work that? I mean, how do you work that that system out? What is your thought process? I mean, I guess I know the thought process, but like in emergency management, you do work with so many different people all the time, mm -hmm. especially GIS, who's coordinating with all these different agencies and data groups to get data. Um, do you have a, like a process that you could share where it could help others out in the field to say, okay, like who are my stakeholders and how do I work with them? Yeah, I mean, I think every disaster, so, I mean, there's just new people. I, it's, it's weird because it's a small world that you see the same people, but it's also every disaster, you're seeing so many new people. Um, but, it's, you're, I mean, it's not like we wear the titles on our shirts or anything like that. Um, I think I'm more prone to just assuming everybody is above me and to just... That's messed uh, up. Everybody's below you, Kayla. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, still, it's like, I, you know, if there's information that needs to be relayed to to people, it's, I don't think it should matter as much if they are five people above the chain from you or two. I mean, you should follow the chain of command. But if the information needs to go somewhere, 
he's not going to care as much about rank. This information needs to get to this person to take an action. Um, and so whatever the best way to get it there, I think is important. Um, granted, you shouldn't just be walking into the federal coordinator's officer's office. But um, I think there's I've done that to- so many times. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. But yeah, you're I would not cool. do that. Yeah. But you, you have the personality that you could do that. I've, I've got. I've been so close to being fired so many times. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. No, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> I've been on it this, like disasters in the same way that you do. I just kind of step in for a little bit and step out. So. And yet um, you're effective. You know, you're extremely effective. And that just shows like everybody yeah, has a different role. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, like doing your role is important. You know, I think there's, it's hard when you're, um, there, there's, yeah, it's, I think it's just important to do the job that you have, you know, and to like take pride in it. And if you're not doing that, then you should probably find a different job. But yeah. I think those are the people that are most frustrating to work with in, any job, any position, any role, it's like the people that don't feel compelled to do their job, then it's like, well, I, I like my job and I want to be here and I want to make a difference. And um, if you don't, then I <laughs> can be frustrating in that sense. Um, I was on a, another wildfire, actually. And I was asked to go and support the region that was at that wildfire. And um, maybe I'm giving too much away, but their team was fairly afraid of their FCO. The FCO was very political. He was uh, high ranking and he had a lot of friends. And so like there was very like top down organization. Um, and so I, I got out there, I was not on their team and it happened four times over the course of two days, which is way too long in a disaster anyways. But um, Hey, here's the request from the FCO. Great. Here's, here's what they're looking for. Hand it back. Uh, four times. No, it's not what he wants. No, it's not what he wants. No, it's not what he wants. He thinks this sucks. And I'm like, well, I don't suck. So I just got tired of it. I was like, I don't, I'm not, I don't work for this team. And so I went yeah. up to him and I said, Hey, I'm the guy that's been trying to make your stupid map. What do you want? <laughs> and he's like, this is what I want. Dot, 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 dot. I said, fine. Came back 15 minutes later. I said, this is what you really want. And he's like, yeah, yeah that's exactly what I'm looking for. Thanks. And it was like, yeah, and that's where I think rank just shouldn't like if it needs to get done, then if it doesn't, I don't think it's that. It was it, a, as long as information and the decision needs to be made. Then yeah, and it was a great career move for me because um, honestly, like one, I had to be competent in what I was doing, and I, you know, it also helped that I was on a national team and working with a regional team, and I think that that separated that a little bit too. Um, so yeah. there are those caveats, but the next day when he came into the room to address everybody, he didn't talk to anybody else. He talked to me, he said some, some <laughs> joke and I laughed at it. It was kind of a funny joke. And then the next day his assistant came up to me and said, Hey, we're going to do a tour of the disaster with, uh, the, um, the FEMA administrator who's coming out here. Do you want to, do you want to go on and look at the disaster with us? And so like, it became like this awesome opportunity where I'm, I'm always behind yeah. the computer and now I get to be out in the field with, you know, some people who are, mm-hmm. who are thinking about this, you know, in, in a pretty complex way. And, um, I was like that, that is why, you know, it's getting the job done is most important. It's good for your career. It's good for the survivor. It's good for everybody. Um, you have to be fairly smart of how you navigate that. But, um, mm-hmm. uh, before I go any further though, 
I'm a hundred percent convinced that you could go up to an FCO. You could go up to any. You go up to the president of the United States and just tell him what's up. I have to be very desperate. No, no way. You're too good at your job. Like you talk about, like you're not a people person. You talk about, like you know, all these other stuff. But you're you're on here. You're giving great advice. And uh, from you know personal experience, I know you do phenomenal work. So, um, yeah. And that maybe that's a good way to end the show. I just like want to thank you so much for coming on and sharing some of those nuggets of uh, of information. Definitely data backed because I can back that up. Um, so you have two points of data there. Um, but if you're if we're going to close here, what would be your advice to emergency managers of the future? If you were going to change one thing about emergency management, what would you change? Oh, um, you know, for the future, I think there's. I think there's a lot of times, you know, I, I think emergency management, when disasters happen, there's so much opportunity for innovation. And these grand ideas come about when you're placed in these situations of like, you don't know what to do next. And you start figuring out these solutions and um, ideas just start coming, just start rolling from everybody around. Um, and I think that's one of the neatest things to see on a disaster is to see the solutions, to see the recovery, to see the impact. What I wish I could see more of is that innovation from disaster to disaster. I mean, you talked about your drones and how you see that more and how now it's a standard operating procedure. And that's amazing. And that's great. And I don't think we see that enough. You know, it started on one disaster and now they're working to apply it on every disaster. I think that's rare. Um, and I, you know, there's so many great ideas that come into play on disasters. Um, and yes, every disaster is different, but I think in the same way, something like drones, I mean, that can be beneficial on any disaster in different ways because every disaster is different, but it could still be helpful. Um, and so just having those ideas and then like taking the risks like you do and making it work. I don't, I mean, I remember how hard you pushed for those drones and I don't think there's that many, as many people that would push that hard. It'd be like, oh, yep, FAA said no. And you were like, no, I, there's no reason for them to say no. I want, I, we need this and it should get done. And um, so seeing those ideas being pushed and then seeing them spread, um, I wish I could see more of. But so that's, that's what I would like. For, on, I appreciate for that emergency management and disasters um but that's just my my personal side you know in emergency management and i think like most fields um and that's great advice and a, a, a great thought process obviously i like innovation um but it's it's always feels like a two steps forward one step back man gis fm is gonna hate me after this call but uh <laughs> like silvo air patrol i have no nothing against silvo air patrol I think it's a phenomenal that they get these pilots out there who are willing to go out to disasters and, and volunteer their time. Like huge, like, you know, Hey, thanks. Mm -hmm. At the same time, from a GIS perspective, the reason why the Cessna flights were, were pretty low on my totem pole for like effectiveness is because we've given point A to point B to fly. And these pilots who would attach the camera to the, the plane to, 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 would take 500,000 photos and we'd go through that one by one. It'd take forever, take months, yeah. and even with mosaics. Yeah. And then so I said, hey, a drone with a GIS trained person will be more effective than this. And so what did they do? And They're cheaper. Like, 
Yeah, they say, hey, let's get C- uh, Civil Air Patrol to start flying drones, these amateurs <laughs> who are not GIS people. And again, they're collecting 500,000 photos, but now it's like beautiful pictures of the sunset behind this destruction. And you're like, you're doing the same thing, but with a different aircraft. Like the whole idea was to like be able to target really specific areas, specifically for the IMATs who are supposed to operate in austere conditions, not for headquarters people. Again, they're going to all hate me, but whatever. I think they already do. So it's all good. Uh, (laughs) Like, if you want a really great situational awareness, you need innovation. And we have so much opportunity to use data to to back up that information so much faster. Oh, my gosh. You're like my favorite person in the world right now because uh, you're saying all the (laughs) things I believe. Yeah, I don't. I mean, yeah, drones are definitely cheaper, but it's like you don't even need, like, to. Spend the time in it. I mean, like, those are great and everything, but just, like, even the everyday solutions that people come up with to be able to help the communities recover and themselves recover, um, like, whether that's technology or not, I mean, just, I mean, drones are such a large-scale solution, I feel like, but there are just so many everyday things that you see come out of disasters, and like, well, I would have never thought about that, but look what it's done for the community now. And they're moving forward. And that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, just when I was, cause I was in New Zealand after the Christchurch earthquake and they used all their shipping containers to make all, to recreate all their storefronts because obviously Smart. it was going to take to rebuild all that. That's amazing. There's not really technology involved in that. Those are just everyday things that they're like, here's what we can do instead. And that's really cool to me. Man, so. gosh, I want to talk to you forever about this. My last point, my <laughs> last point to agree with you again, because you know, you're you're saying the things that I want to say in such a nicer way. You're like the I'm like the what is that old the, what is that skit? Uh, angry Obama. I'm like the angry Obama, <laughs> and you're like the nice Obama. You know what I'm talking about the Key and Peel skit. Gosh, anyways, yeah. mm-hmm. there's a in the Nepal Nepali earthquake. Um, all the buildings that were made out of concrete, speci- specifically these homes, were just destroyed. Mm-hmm. But the homes yeah. that were actually older in the in the more uh, vulnerable communities that were made out of bamboo and clay, they stayed because mm-hmm. they would they could sway with the earth. And yeah. so um, there was groups that went in there and said, "Let's make an innovative way to be able to use bamboo and clay. One, it's cheaper and easier." But two, we know it can deal with earthquakes and aftershocks. And so there was actually groups that went in there. Instead of using two by fours and concrete, they used uh, you know the local resources. And I just thought that was phenomenal. Sometimes like the yeah. the innovation doesn't need to be new. It just needs to be like again using data. Creative. Yeah, creative. Yeah. Oh gosh, you're coming back on the show for <laughs> sure. We're gonna be like, talking about these ideas. I'll be angry, Obama, and you can be nice, Obama, President Obama. <laughs> Gosh, so awesome. Peel. Key and Peel. Disaster tough. Okay. Caitlin, thanks again so much for coming on the show. Uh, everybody. No, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody, if you liked this episode, if you liked nice President Obama, Caitlin Von Stein, <laughs> everything that she had to say, please give us that five star rating. Make sure that you subscribe. Make sure you look, tune in to our Instagram page, which is our major, major page uh, for all this show. We'll be posting more about what Kaylin has to offer. She is so phenomenal in emergency management. Obviously, she has great advice. If you want to ask her questions or do a follow-up there, that'd be great. You can also send us an email. 
at info at DobermanEMG.com. Again, that's info at DobermanEMG.com. <laughs>